Hello and welcome to this week's Scottish Independence Podcast. I'm Fiona McGregor and with my Indie Live podcast team colleague Marlene Halliday, we're going to be looking at the economic case for an independent Scotland. The Scottish Government has just published the third in their series of papers, Building a New Scotland. We've been talking to Ian Stewart and Tim Rideout of the Scottish Currency Group, asking them for their opinion. Ian Stewart is retired now, but he was a senior banker in RBS. Uh, so he brings a lot of very you know, hands-on experience to these discussions, and he's part of the Scottish Currency Group um, as well. Tim Rideout set up the uh, ReserveBank.Scot website. You know, he's set out there all the steps that would be needed to set up a Scottish Currency. He's also part of the uh, Scottish Currency Group. You're also going to hear the First Minister's voice on this. She wasn't part of our interview. We have used clips from the press conference that launched the paper. And the first of our two guests to speak is Ian Stewart. Here we go. I'm here with Ian Stewart and Dr Tim Rideout. And uh, it was only a few days ago that uh, we heard the uh, First Minister give a press conference with the latest of the Building a New Scotland papers. So we've now got to the third one, which is called A Stronger Economy with Independence. This is not a choice, as it was often framed as in 2014, between certainty on the one hand and uncertainty on the other hand. The future is inherently uncertain. The question for Scotland is how do we best navigate that uncertainty? And I think that's with governments that we vote for rather than governments that we don't vote for pursuing an economic policy based on the values of the majority in our country and harnessing the power of our abundant resources. In 2014, it was the fears about the economy was one of the main things that stopped people voting yes and very likely that those fears are going to be played on again by the, the, the unionist campaign. Why now, in these tough times, is a stronger, fairer economy really possible with independence? What currency will we use? How will we deal with any debt and deficit we inherit? How can we protect trade across the UK if we are back in the EU? We've got this uh, report, and uh, Ian's just been telling me that he spent part of the morning reading it. I don't know if you managed to get to the end, uh, Ian, and it's long. It's long. Um, What are the positives to take from the report? Where has it moved on from from previous statements? I think it's an excellent paper uh, overall, uh, with some really innovative uh, proposals that would transform Scotland uh, for the benefit of all living here, in my opinion. I mean, there, there are initiatives like the green hydrogen production, which they estimate could produce up to 300,000 new jobs in Scotland using our low-cost uh, renewable energy. The carbon capture proposals, which would benefit the whole of Europe, not just Scotland. The green electricity that they see us using for the benefit of ourselves as consumers living in Scotland. As we all know, a large percentage of our electricity bills is down to the cost of production from gas, which is really England relies on that. Scotland doesn't. We produce our electricity from green renewables. There's also other aspects beyond the sort of currency issues that we're here to discuss, because when you read through the whole paper, which Marlene, I did finish actually, <laughs> covers things like labour laws and an independent Scotland. 
and even change of corporate governance, which is quite an important factor because the UK has failed to change corporate gov governance over decades. And uh, all that leads on to what Nicola proposes as a fairer and more socially just society. As in any democracy, different governments will make different choices. But in this paper, we set out some of the opportunities that the economic powers of independence will open for us. For example, with powers to reform the energy market, we could ensure that our renewable resources deliver security of supply and lower costs while also tackling the climate emergency. We could ensure fairer work, European-style labour market policies in place of Westminster anti-trade union laws can bring government, business and trade unions together in a social partnership underpinned by greater worker involvement and stronger collective bargaining. This is the kind of approach increasingly championed by organisations like the OECD as the best route to high-wage, productive economies that are sustainable and more inclusive. With employment law powers, we could do more to tackle the gender pay gap and age discrimination, ensuring, for example, that young people receive the same minimum wage rate as everyone else. It is an approach based on human well-being, lifting people up so that they can contribute fully, not waiting for wealth to trickle down while the inequality gap grows. With independence, we can rejoin the EU and be back inside the world's biggest trading bloc. As an EU member state in our own right, we would, for the first time, be in a position not just to benefit from EU trade deals, but help shape them. We would have an immigration policy tailored to our needs, and we would have the stability of knowing that the governments making the decisions that shape our economy have actually been elected by us. These are just some of the opportunities independence would open up. So, overall, uh, I think it's a very good. Uh, paper and a great contribution to the debate, uh, and uh, I welcome it. The Scottish Government will be responsible uh, for paying uh, the pensions uh, of uh, those with uh, state pensions in an independent Scotland, either uh, those who have that uh, when the, we become independent and for those who become uh, entitled to a pension uh, later on. I, I think another point in the pension front is it is mentioned in the document, but only uh, as Nicola presented it very, very briefly. And I think that was a missed opportunity because uh, I think uh, there could have and should have been in the paper some commitment to improve the state pension uh, in an independent Scotland. Because, we, you know, as we all know, we've got the poorest state pension in the United Kingdom, uh, second only to Romania uh, across Europe. So, I think that uh, that was an uh, that that was an opportunity. When we're, we're talking about build, building a stronger economy and a fairer society, then pensioners should have been included and uh, in that. Uh, presentation uh, and actually articulated what it could mean to pensioners. They are a very significant part of the voting population in Scotland, and we really do need to get them on side and actually make it clear to them that it is to their advantage to vote for independence. The one thing that endures can be used for, and it can't be challenged by the unionists since it's their figures. Uh, we collect at the moment, uh, in 2021, there was 11.5 billion of national insurance paid in Scotland. The state pension cost eight and a half billion, and there was another two and a half billion that went for statutory sick pay, maternity, paternity pay, and redundancy pay. That leaves five hundred million pounds left over already, which could go on an immediate 
pension increase. I remember listening to you say that in a talk. And I also think that there was a bit of a stushy arose on Twitter and social media about the, about those facts. Although, you know, they are straight out of jails. I went and had a look myself and it's exactly those figures. But you did get a bit of a pile on after you said that. They were trying to say that the health service is funded out of national insurance and it isn't. Uh -huh. We confirm that the policy of the Scottish Government is to establish a Scottish pound. We would seek to do this as soon as practicable. The precise timing would be determined not by a fixed timetable, but by a set of objective requirements and criteria, guided by advice from the central bank and subject to a decision by Parliament in the overall interests of the country. This paper sets out in detail a careful and responsible phased approach as well as the arrangements necessary to support a new currency and in the shorter term our continued use of sterling. You know, from uh, the Scottish Currency Group's sort of perspective, the currency proposals in this report are what let it down. We spent a long time in the spring uh, coming up with our uh, Road to the Scottish Currency Report, uh, written or the final drafting done by John Randall, a retired uh, Registrar General for Scotland, who's used to dealing with ministers and you know how to phrase things properly. And sending that privately so that, uh, you know, be no publicity or anything to ministers and senior civil servants uh, in the hope that that would influence this paper and result in something that was a sensible policy. You know, unfortunately, a little bit of the vocabulary seems to have been used, but it's basically been added to a camouflage net that's been flung over a reheated version of the Growth Commission. And, uh, you know, that, that wasn't acceptable uh, in 2018 and it's still not acceptable now. You know, we, we put a lot of effort into uh, coming up with a wording that would work in the prospectus. And what we basically were saying was that uh, what you should do to accommodate the entire yes movement, come up with a common position that would work for absolutely everyone, uh, was to say that the important thing is to get the preparations for the central bank and currency completed, by, you know, ideally by Independence Day. And that means things like a payment network for the Scottish pound, getting the banknotes and coins printed and manufactured, uh, setting up the central bank, having the basic staff in place and an office and things like that, the IT system and, and so forth. In order to, to ensure that the post-independence government, which you know, is probably going to be a different government, maybe it's still SNP, but it, you know, we're talking about five years in the future. So there'll have been another election between now and then. In order to ensure that that government has the choice to introduce the new currency as soon as practicable. Uh, obviously, you know, I was the author of As Soon As Practicable back at the April 2019 SNP conference. And yeah. I use that deliberately so that it's not specific. You know, it's not day one, it's not day 27, it's not week seven or something that, uh, you know, is gonna be uh, subject to attack. Um, but uh, you know, in our view, it does mean fairly short period, like a few weeks or perhaps a month or two uh, after independence. But anyway, as soon as practicable, and that you then say that uh, it's for the government of the day, the government in five years' time that's actually doing this, uh, to decide on the exact timing and mechanism uh, for when the currency would be released. So that way you can have, you know, the situation where you get, you know, BBC, First Minister, what's your currency plan? Well, we're going to do the same as every other country that's become independent. We're going to have our own currency. BBC, what's the timing? First Minister, 
Well, I can't possibly say what the timings are five years in advance. You know, that would be silly. It's yeah. up to the government of the day, which is can see the circumstances and take the advice of the central bank and listen to the views of parliament and the MPs and the public to decide exactly how this is done. End of discussion. So the first minister, yeah, when she was in that in that press conference, she did use that phrase, didn't she? As soon as practicable, we would seek to do this as soon as practicable. Yeah, so what's they, the difference between what you're meaning by it, how she's using the it? The trouble is that the report also says it's got things like there's a paragraph uh, near the front of the currency section where it says. In the early years of independence, we will carry on using sterling. And it is years plural, uh, and it is early years of independence. So this means after Independence Day. So we've you know, probably had a two to three year transition period already between a vote and Independence Day. So we're talking about going to carry on using sterling maybe two or three years after we had the referendum and for years plural after that, uh, so uh, that's not as soon as practicable. There are uh, people in my uh, own side of this debate who would love me to stand up and say on day one of independence we will suddenly have our own currency. Uh, that is not possible. Uh, we need to make a transition to, from where we are to having our own currency and that is what we set out. Now during that period when we continue to use sterling, which we are free to do because it's an internationally traded currency, it doesn't depend on uh, agreement with the UK, we would be in a position of our monetary policy uh, still being governed by the Bank of England. Now that for a transitionary period is necessary. But we do not consider that that is a sensible position longer term, which is why uh, we are steering the policy of moving to a separate currency as soon as practicable. I mean, is it possible for us to move to a different, our own Scots pound before Independence Day? Uh, you can't do it before Independence Day because we're still part of the UK. So uh, you'd have to do it shortly after. So, you know, in our planet, I think it's about two months after Independence Day. I listened to you going through that whole timeline and compared to what you can pick up in uh, other parts of the mainstream media, it's, uh, it's just amazing hearing that. But um, it's also not that unusual, isn't it, for a country that doesn't take, need to take that long to set up their own, their own currency. I, have, I had an estimate from a, bunch, a consortium of central bankers that uh, completing the preparation, the work on the IT and the you know, systems and all the rest of it, getting the staff in place and so on for the central bank, uh, would take between three and four years. To add to those institutions already in place, we would create an independent Scottish central bank, a debt management office, and significantly strengthen the Scottish Fiscal Commission so that it effectively replicates the Office for Budget Responsibility. These institutions would operate independently of government and help ensure financial stability, transparent economic forecasting and performance monitoring, and a responsible, purposeful and efficient use of borrowing powers. We could actually do a first year of work now, because uh, the first year is just drawing up tender documents and sort of specifications and things like that. And you, you only need three or four experts to work on it. And then you could do another two years during the transition period. And that means that the central bank could, in fact, be up and running and ready to introduce the currency in the first months of independence. We would start to uh, establish the central bank 
after a vote for independence, so effectively in the transition period, so that it was operational on day one of independence. From your point of view, it's a very protracted timeline. From how you think about it, I know you've talked to, to all sorts of people and got the evidence to back this up. It could be much shorter. I mean, why do you think the Scott Gov are going for this protracted timeline? I mean, is there anything well, it's, that... It's, it's even a bit worse than that, because we're putting obstacles in the way of the future government, because the, uh, the report also talks about uh, criteria and guides, which I think is just a it, it's just a sort of synonym for tests. When we're back to the uh, the yeah, six tests the six from the Earth Commission, yeah. you know. So, how under uh, under what circumstances does this government now think it's in a position to start telling a government in five years' time what it can and can't do in terms of introducing the currency? That's silly. You know, you can't constrain the future government. Uh, it's up to them to decide. You know listen to the governor of the Scottish Reserve Bank, see what uh, the markets are doing, the international situation. They have to decide on what they can and can't do, you know, that it's up to them to, you know, to decide exactly how you do it, when you do it. And if that ended up taking two years, well, that's their decision. It's not our decision. <laughs> I don't think it will. Yeah, I totally agree with what Tim said about putting in place the preparations to issue a currency. I mean, in the Scottish Currency Group, we have agreed that you have to set up a Scottish Treasury, Central Bank, Financial Services Authority. Uh, we have to print banknotes and coins or have the designs ready. And importantly, we actually have to engage with the payment systems, both international and set up our own domestic payment system, because 95% of the domestic payments are electronic. And you know these things cannot be set up overnight. That requires a lot of project management and a lot of technical people involved in that. So it is a responsibility of this government, if we get a yes vote, to put in place the, the actual building blocks to allow a future government to actually launch a currency at a time of their choosing. And I think uh, Tim makes a very valid point, and it's certainly one that I picked up on. In fact, it's referred to in the actual uh, the, in the report itself that these are the proposals of the current Scottish government. The, the reference to current implying that they recognise that it will not necessarily be their government that will make this decision. And the likelihood is that once we get independence, of course, because we'll be using a proportional representation, then the government will probably not be a Scottish National Party government, certainly not on its own. It more likely be a coalition government with Greens, the Alapa, a re reinvigorated Scottish Labour Party. The deficit and debt an independent Scotland will start out with will be derived from and influenced by the overall UK position. In the case of debt, it will also be determined by negotiations that follow a vote for independence. As was established in 2014, Scotland would not have legal responsibility for UK debt. We do, however, in my view, bear a moral responsibility. Certainly, I was very concerned to see that uh, the paper actually puts an obligation on an independent Scotland to accept part of the UK debt. Uh, I see that as very uh, totally unnecessary. And you know, even if we ended up in that place, you should not start negotiations by accepting that you're going to take on that liability. It's a, a very weak position to take. Well, we, we have no obligation under, as I understand, international law to accept any part of the UK debt. We, we, you know, we're, we're an independent country. We didn't uh, incur any of that debt in our own right. If you start off accepting it, does that not mean that, though, that you also, you know, it follows on from that, that you also get your share of the assets? 
if you if you look at the Treasury paper published in 2013, because you know the UK already at that time of the previous referendum um, uh, issued a statement about what they saw happening, and in international law, there's a thing that there's two models. There's what's called the continuing state model, uh, and then there's the the state disintegrates, and uh, you have completely new states for uh, or everything. So when the Soviet Union disintegrated, uh, the Russian Federation was the continuing state, and then everybody else was a new state. Uh, so Russia took the UN seat, and uh, it took the debts of the Soviet Union, and it took all the, the assets like uh, military bases abroad, embassies, uh, uh, and things like that. And then everyone else got what was, every, what was in their country. So that's the, that's the, the normal continuing state model. Uh, when the UK Treasury issued its statement, they said they were going to take the continuing state model by which they kept all the assets, the UN seat, embassies, military bases, the Falklands, and all of that sort of stuff. But they would then apply the dissolution model to the liabilities, so that Scotland would have to take a share of the liabilities, but not the assets, which obviously that's having your cake and eat it. Yeah. Of model. yeah. Um, how would you approach negotiations and what would you say to them? What I would say is we go with the continuing state model, which is what they want. Um, you know, we don't need the basement of the British Embassy in Washington and get our own embassy. The one exception that we will make is we will take off their hands the enormous liability of the UK state pension system. And uh, so we, uh, you know, as of Independence Day, for everyone who is domiciled in Scotland on Independence Day, the Scottish Government will take over the state pension lock, stock and barrel, possibly civil service, military pensions and things like that as well. Uh, just for simplicity. And in return for that, they get to keep the national debt. In light of that, and indeed our desire for strong future partnership between Scottish and UK governments, we would seek a fair settlement on both debt and assets. Now, given the turmoil engulfing the UK's finances at this time, it is not possible to make an estimate of our starting fiscal position, though the IFS has suggested that in 2022-23, Scotland's deficit is likely to be similar to or lower than the UK's. You know, JERS is, a, is complete rubbish in terms of what the finances of an independent Scotland are going to be, but I expect that we would probably end up with a deficit in the first year or two of maybe between 8 and 10% of uh, GDP. We reject austerity as both morally wrong and economically counterproductive. Further, we do not accept that austerity is necessary in a country as wealthy as Scotland and with our abundance of resources. It is ultimately the creation of a sustainable, inclusive economy that delivers fiscal sustainability. Neither austerity nor tax cuts for the wealthiest will deliver that. It will come instead from investment in people and infrastructure. Um, and JERS, uh, which I know everybody's very fond of the JERS publication, uh, bears this out. Even if you exclude oil revenues from Scotland's balance sheet, uh, the uh, revenue that we currently uh, raise in Scotland is already sufficient to cover all day-to-day -day devolved expenditure, all social security expenditure, including the state pension. Scotland can already pay for all day-to-day -day devolved expenditure from current resources. She was using yeah. figures from, I think the evidence for that comes from the, you know, the, the JERS figures. So I suppose if, the, if you can prove it with JERS figures, 
which yeah. tend to underestimate our economy, then that's um, that's a pretty good place to start off with. So do you think she's right in, in, in what she said about that? The tricky bit there is in devolved responsibilities. Because, um, you know, we, we, if we're independent, we don't have just devolved responsibilities. We're going to have to pay for the foreign, you know, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Ministry of Defence, uh, you know, and all of those things which okay. we currently don't do. The, the Holyrood Parliament has a balanced budget. So, you know, it's income equals its expenditure uh, for what it does. But, uh, you know, so we've got to add on uh, the things that we don't do. Uh, and uh, we've got a lot of setting up to do. I mean, I've done some estimates. So uh, we probably need about 35,000 new civil service jobs, which, uh, you know, that's nice, well-paid jobs, which can be yeah. properly divided up amongst around the country. So that um, I got a resolution through the SNP conference last year that, uh, that those new jobs should be allocated in proportion to the population of each 32 council areas, so that you'd get sort of a thousand jobs going to the Western Isles, for example and two and a half thousand going to Dumfries and Galloway uh, and yeah. not all just been in Edinburgh. So that, you know that's a benefit to the country, it's not just a cost because that's somebody's salary and they're going to pay tax and uh, spend it in the shops and all the rest of it, but it's still money that we're going to have to spend. Right. We're going to need yeah. office buildings, infrastructure, IT systems, furniture. That is why we propose in this paper the Building a New Scotland Fund. Oil and gas is a declining asset and our obligation to the planet means that we must move away from fossil fuels as quickly as possible. But oil and gas can't be switched off overnight, so Scotland could benefit from these revenues for some time yet. If we invest remaining oil revenues and use our new borrowing powers responsibly and for a purpose, we can invest up to £20 billion in the first decade of independence. This investment will help accelerate the transition to net zero and transform communities. And crucially, it will help kickstart the inclusive growth that will help get our newly independent nation on a fiscally sustainable path while building the fair society we all want. So on page 64 of the report, which is contradictory to some of our more negative views about it, about it being a protracted period, it's not totally uh, clear that that would be the case because in their own paper they say it is of paramount importance, paramount importance that they join the European Union as quickly as possible. Take Europe, for example, there will be a paper, as I said, I think a moment ago, dedicated to issues around European membership. Yes, there will be a process of negotiation that is required there, but nobody uh, with any credibility seriously suggests that Scotland would not be welcome back into the European Union. And while there would be a process of negotiation, uh, most uh, people who know what they're talking about on this issue uh, are very clear that that would not be uh, a particularly lengthy uh, process. But these are issues that we will continue to update and inform people on. And throughout the whole report, they consistently and recurrently refer to being in the European Union. Uh, they don't mention EFTA or European Economic Area, it's the European Union. And of course, they would require to be a currency issue to be even be considered. So there is a bit of ambiguity uh, in terms of uh, ascertaining just exactly what timescales referred to here. About just picking you up on um, having to have a currency before we'd even be considered, we could engage with the EU, we could start on their formal, you know, they've got a whole set of chapters that you formally work through. 
to, to move towards being accepted in the EU. That can all go ahead even without a country having its own currency. So, you know, there could be a kind of dual process, so it wouldn't happen until after independence. But there is nothing that would stop an independent Scotland or any country applying to join or, or rejoin, in our case, the EU uh, before we have our own currency. Clearly, the negotiation around rejoining and the process of establishing our own currency uh, would be processes that we would want to align. But the idea that we would have to have our own currency before we start that process of re-entry to the EU is not uh, the case. So there could be a, a group of people working with the EU to come to work through and come up with a proposal to join the EU, which presumably then there has to be a referendum about. Commentators like Kirsty Hughes reckon that could be done in four to five years, which apparently is quite quick. But it doesn't mean you have to have your own currency in those four to five years, but you definitely would have to have your currency before you'd um, you'd be a, yeah. a, 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 get accession. Yeah. So it could be there can be a kind of parallel set of negotiations going on or work going on, couldn't there? Well, I mean, I, I would hope the discussions are taking place right now in terms of an independent Scotland joining the EU. I'd be very disappointed if that wasn't the case. But you know, whatever discussions take place now or at some time in the, the not too distant future, we still would have to be a currency issuer in our own right. We want these processes to be as short uh, as possible for obvious reasons and you know have confidence that they can be at uh, short periods of time uh, and i would you know repeat a point i've already made uh, there is no other route back into the eu uh, other than scotland being independent so yes there will be a process that we have to go through to achieve that uh, but that is compared to the alternative of a permanent existence outside the EU, which is what we will have if we remain part of the UK. What do you think about it as a strategy? You know, this one paper at a time revealed, a little bit revealed, another bit revealed. I think it's a necessary part of the process. I think the, the paper itself, as I say, overall, it reads very well. Uh, I was interested in listening to Col Kay in Radio Scotland today that uh, she was asking for comments from uh, the listeners. Uh, as to whether Nicola had convinced them about independence from the paper that was issued yesterday. Now, at that time this morning, I was halfway through reading the 110-page document. Uh, my wife did actually text in to call Kay, and it was read out. How many of your callers have actually read three pages, never mind 110 pages of this uh, paper? So, you know, I mean, people are passing comments on something that they haven't actually read, not even in summary, never mind in detail. Uh, so I think, I mean, it's a 110-page document. It's a, it's, a, it's a good paper. It's a great addition to the debate. But you've got to ask yourself how many people, apart from political nerds and, and uh, the, the press, are going to read it in total. And I think that's a big challenge for any political party, and particularly for the SNP as we move to independence. I, I, did a, I did a check with my two daughters regarding what, what they thought they could get out of a 110-page document. And uh, needless to say, neither of them said they would even consider reading a 110-page document. And, and when I mentioned about availability of information on Facebook or in the newspapers, they both said that nobody under 40 reads newspapers nor actually uses Facebook. Their assessment was for Nicola and the SNP and the Yes Movement to get messages out there, we need to be much sharper, much more punchy. That's something we'll have to think about as we move into the referendum, how to uh, subdivide this and put it into punchy straplines yeah. that are going to have an impact on a generation that, by and large, is very pro-independence anyway.
it's the folk, you know, over 65s that are still yeah. still unconvinced. So maybe if we, since we're the ones that are on Facebook, I, I didn't realise it was just more, more or less our, my age group. I did a little um, survey yesterday, so after the press conference. So I'm in a, a WhatsApp group. It's, it's a yes group. I was saying, well, I think there was a few open goals left there and could have said this, could have said that. Yeah. And um, so one person came on and said, well, she she finds those press conferences really useful because she she sort of says she, she says look I know I understand I want to Scotland to be independent but I'm not too much up into all the things it might have to do so if she listens to a press conference at that her own experience was she just learned something else by listening to it and thinks oh I didn't know that didn't know that and I went oh well okay that's that's a that's a good you know that that's that's a good outcome. Um, and someone else in the WhatsApp groups came in and said she thought it was quite a, a good idea to leave open goals. She says, OK, maybe they didn't do it deliberately. But, you know, because it, by the end of a press conference, you know what lines the unionists, the usual suspects yeah. in those press conferences, you kind of yeah. you, you hear what they're coming up with. And it, and it tells you, you know, where they're going to go with it in a campaign. And I thought, yeah. Okay, I suppose that's fair enough. Well, I also think we know where they're going to go with it in the campaign because they've been coming out with this stuff for the last eight years. What do you think about this whole strategy of, you know, a set of papers coming out one after the other? Do you think that's going to do what we need to get us to a yes vote? I'm not convinced. I mean, I'm probably one of the few people that read the white paper in 2014, which is about 600 pages or something. Uh, then. There was a general view amongst people that, uh, that, that that was ridiculously too long and uh, we didn't want to do that. So we've decided to do 10 papers of 110, 110 pages each, which means we're going to come up with something that's twice the length of uh, 2014. Um, so, you know, as, uh, as Ian said, I think um, nobody's going to read them. After something like 50 talks around the country, uh, I think there's, a, there's, there's really just four or five questions uh, that people want the answers to, and you could do it. You can, you, I think. I think there's going to be no movement in the opinion polls until we just decisively answer those questions. The questions are, you know, what currency are we going to use? The answer is, we're going to have our own pound as soon as practicable uh, after Independence Day. What's going to happen to the border between England and Scotland? Well, it's going to be exactly the same as the border between Northern Ireland and England. Uh, you know, so whatever whatever that ends up is up as, then it's going to be the same for Scotland. Uh, so there will be some sort of checks. Uh, you won't have to show your passport, um, uh, uh, and that's the way it's going to work. Uh, what's going to happen about pensions? Well, we're going to take a, take over the state pension, lock, stock, and barrel. Things like the uh, the Scottish Health Service, police, fire service, whatever. They're already Scottish pensions run by the Scottish government. Same with the councils. Uh, so then that just leaves the private pensions and uh, the UK central civil service and army uh, to resolve. Uh, what's going to happen about Europe? Well, we could we can rejoin the EEA and EFTA as of Independence Day, which gets us back in the single market, solves the problem of access to the EU market, gets some ferries up and running that go direct so we don't have to go through England. Uh, and we will then negotiate with the EU uh, we'll see what happens uh, at the end of the, those negotiations when you have to put it to a referendum, which is required by the EU, uh, and we may or may not decide to join the EU. We might decide we quite like the Norway position uh, and we're going to stay in the Norway position. 
that's that's really all you have to answer. You don't you don't need to, you know a thousand pages to answer that. We certainly do need to keep it simple, uh, but of course, for the political uh, commentators and the press, etc., you do need to have a yeah. fairly yeah. detailed background plan as well. So, you know, I, I don't see one as being exclusive to the other. I think you do need to have the detailed planning there. I mean, Brexit is a classic case of no detailed planning, and see where we've got with Brexit. So, I, I, I'm reassured that uh, the, you know the intelligent people are putting together a detailed plan behind the, the scenes here. But Tim's absolutely right. For the general population to get the vote, let's keep it simple. And if we can keep it to six key points, then so much the better. Thanks so much for both of you coming on and and, uh, and being prepared to, to chat to us here. For, for, um, for Thanks again for, for coming on. Thank you. That was a fascinating discussion, wasn't it? You got Ian and Tim directed right into the heart of some of the main questions in, the, in this uh, this whole debate. And the two that, that stuck out for me in particular was whether we still have these six tests or not, because Ian Blackford in the Opposition Day debate just last week referred to six tests. Um, the First Minister was a bit vague that there would be tests and criteria and Tim and Ian are adamant that there shouldn't be. Certainly not as defined criteria to mm. be met. It did seem um, during the launch that still part of the thinking but mm. you know less of a less of a criteria more of a more of a guideline a bit more room round about about them in mm. terms of when they might how much weight's giving to them. I certainly got that impression, but you know, goodness, I mean, I'm no economist, so. No, but it certainly seems logical that you should have some criteria against which to decide if you're ready to go to the next stage of your plan or not. Tim first came to notice, really, didn't he, when he was at one of the SNP conferences yeah. and he took the six tests apart. He just it did. blew them out of the water. Test one, deficit and debt. Well, as has already been said this, this afternoon, we don't have any debts as that's not allowed at the moment. And if we borrowed 12 billion a year for 15 years, we would just reach the average debt level of an EU member country. So where's the problem that this test addresses? Test two, a credible central bank. The job of a central bank is to issue and manage a currency. If there is no currency, it's not a central bank and it can't be credible. So this is a catch 22 test. Test three, does it meet the needs of the people and business? The only difference is the picture on the banknote and the new name. Your wage is the same, the prices in the shops are the same, it's all voluntary anyway. So why would it not meet our needs? Reserves, test four. Seriously? The test is also irrelevant, as the new currency will not be handed out for free. Every new note issued has to be bought with sterling handed in to the equivalent amount. The currency actually starts automatically with 100% reserves. That could be 50 billion. That's five times what Finland has, and it's actually more than the 55 billion US dollars that the Bank of England has. Test five, does it fit our trade patterns? 50% of food and drink goes to the EU, 6% of whiskey goes to the UK. If you know what this test is about, send me an email. <laughs> test six. Have we decoupled from the UK business cycle? 
We certainly should ditch UK mismanagement, but we never will do that by using sterling and having our policies decided for us in London. The only way to decouple is to have your own currency. So to conclude, and slightly misquoting Macbeth, if twere done, then twere best done quickly. He's probably responsible for them disappearing from the discussion. Have they really disappeared? You know, that, that, the paper doesn't make it very clear, I think. If you don't refer to any sort of guiding um, principles about when the shift over to the currency might happen, then, then the unionist press pile in on you. If you come up with something that's far too rigid, they also pile in on you. So, you know, I can see that it's a, you know, it's a hard thing to judge how, just how to put it when you're, um, when you're launching it. And, you know, it would certainly be a mistake in the terms of First Minister of the Scottish Government to tie themselves into something that's too specific, no matter, you know, no matter how much the press, I mean, you could see, you know, that in, in that launch, there were certain sections of the, the press who were, who were there who were pushing to get something more yeah. definitive said, and, you know, and she was not doing it. The other main discrepancy, and it's probably as a result of, of that lack of clarity about what happens when, is the timescale. How long does this take? And you've been doing some research, haven't you? And we've got <laughs> a lovely little summary of what we think is the most likely timescale. You know, I enjoy putting it together. Now, this being a podcast, we're not able to show you the clip that Marlene put together, but it is on our Indie Live Extra YouTube channel, and I'll put the link in the notes to this podcast. There's lots of unknowns in that, but I just thought it was really helpful to just put the two things on the same you know, bit of paper, as it were, just to explain that those two, at least joining EU and setting up a country, are pretty well going to be in in sync as long as we as long as we yeah. go on with it and yeah there's a complication about maybe you know join EFTA well it's easier in terms of it doesn't take as long and you don't need your own currency to join as a, an EFTA member probably they would quite like to have us that's what we all think anyway yeah. but I'm sure that's probably true and that would be one of the pathways the options mm. that, that you know that um that uh, Kirsty talked about in that interview last month yeah. that was something we specifically looked at when we we're talking to Kirsty. so if anybody wants to go back and look at that, you can get it on our YouTube channel, Indie Live Extra. I wasn't expecting them to dovetail just quite as well as they did. <laughs> that was quite impressive the way they came together like that. And of course, the other unknown quantity is just what other things are we going to have to do in that period? Because there's a lot more than just currency and oh, yeah. EFTA to worry about, much, yeah. much more. The thing that struck me about um, <laughs> EFTA against you, because I... I've in the past, I mean, I want us eventually let's go back into the EU, although, but then I've thought, well, EFTA would be quite a good fit. And, and there's a lot of discussion, at least with, you know, there's a lot of discussion around that. Yes, we could get in, you know, more quickly, but we, if we do that, we'd be in there and, be, and we'd still be using sterling. Maybe that's okay, but that raises other questions for me. Well, well is it okay? And what do you do about your borrowing? Are you borrowing well, in sterling or, you know? That's a really good question. And after we'd recorded the main interview with Tim and Ian, we were having a little backstage chat in the studio and that exact question came up and Tim had some very good advice for us on whether or not you should borrow ever in somebody else's currency. So let's just play that now. It's only a minute or so. Mm -hmm. 
thing that caught my eye that I was hoping you would ask, and I thought it's not really relevant, but was um, Douglas Ross trying to imply oh, Scotland's going to yeah. become Venezuela. Quite a leap, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Douglas well, Ross has forgotten that part, I mean, okay, Venezuela's had its problems, but one of its big problems was that the USA take it against it because it didn't like its left-wing president, you know, and thumping sanctions on. Exactly. Venezuela um, is, a, is a very good reason for why you need to have your own currency. I don't think they're proper economics, but I, I have uh, two laws of currency. The first law of currency uh, is that the state requires that all official payments are in the, the currency of the state only. You know, as of currency day, the Scottish government would pay the wages, pay suppliers and require tax in Scottish pounds and will not accept sterling. Mm. You, know, you try going to HMRC and paying your tax bill in US dollars because uh, yeah. they won't accept it. <laughs> so, um, so that's the first law of currency. The second law of currency is never borrow somebody else's. And that's one of the problems with sterlingization. If we you know, yeah. spend years sterlingized, we're borrowing sterling, which is a foreign currency. And that's how Venezuela gets into trouble yeah. because they go and borrow US dollars to finance imports. Yeah. Yeah. Did Sri Lanka not do that recently as well? They yes, borrowed they, they borrowed foreign foreign currencies, usually dollars. Turkey's yeah. the same thing. They've got massive dollar debts. Um, uh, you know, so don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Important message. We'll Important get that message. in the program. Put that out. Don't do it. Yeah. Okay. Great. was quite unequivocal from Tim wasn't it and I, I think that that is the um the element of well, the Scottish government's paper that I'm least comfortable with is the open-ended period that we're going to be using sterling I mean you know the, the phrase is there isn't it as soon as is practicable to move yeah. to our own currency it's just it's just what we were saying earlier it's like you could call it vagueness all right but you can also say being a bit more positive about it you could say well they're keeping their options open and there are good reasons for mm. keeping your options open but yes you know it, it, certainly tim was pretty um unequivocal about unequivocal yeah. about it about it there and, and the other thing i think that people don't really know much about that is that if you are a country who's asking to join the eu and and you've been accepted as a candidate that would be the first the first thing first gate that you have to go through yeah. at that point the eu will then be offering you an associate trade deal and most people don't i think know that i never knew that until i was at a talk that actually was kirsty who was giving it and um yeah. you know she mentioned it then and, and and at that point i thought well that would make a lot of difference and and it does go some way to balance out the argument one argument for going into efta quickly is that you you, you then have advantage of the, their trade deals yeah. that they've already got in place but actually you'd also have a trade deal with the eu if you're talking mm. to them so the, the interview we did with kirsty's got a lot of that discussion in it that's where we've got to so far, looking at the specifics of the currency and the economy and the government paper. And no doubt we will return to that over the coming months. Anyway, we should stop there. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back again on Friday. We have an episode out every Friday, plus the occasional Tuesday bonuses as well, if there's a lot going on, which there certainly has been recently. And if you don't already follow us, please do so, then you won't miss anything. You can also get us on our Indie Life Extra YouTube channel, our Indie Life Podcasters TikTok channel, our at Scottish Indie Pod Twitter, and I'll put links to the various shows we've mentioned in the notes to this podcast. Catch you later. Bye now.